0: And as they do, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. We're back. Back in Luke. I don't know if you've missed Luke. I sure have. Um, as you find your place there, I'll just kind of get you back up to speed. But when you do find it, if you wouldn't mind to stand, Luke chapter 7. Do <clears throat> you remember um, Luke chapter 6? At the end of that is when Jesus taught his disciples what it means to be his disciple. And so he went through that amazing uh, Bible truths, amazing doctrine, amazing principles that we would all do well to uh, go back and reread that um, several times over and and aspire to live that life that Jesus has called us to. And then he left that teaching and the the first part of chapter 7. He left, ended his sayings in verse 1, and went to Capernaum. And when he got to Capernaum, he remember ran into that centurion. Remember him? The centurion? And he had that servant who was sick, and Jesus showed his power. And the, the centurion knew who Jesus was. He knew the power of Christ. And he said, You don't even have to come see us. You don't even have to enter my house. You just say the word and and my my servant will be healed. And and Jesus did, didn't he? He healed the son, I mean the, the servant there. And he finished that up in verse ten. And uh, the servant, and they that were sent returning to the house, Jesus never even entered the house. And when they found, they got there, they found that the servant whole that had been sick. And now we pick up our reading in verse 11. So if you would follow as I read verse 11, it came to pass the day after. So the day after he healed the servants, uh, I'm sorry, the centurion's servant, the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him, and much people. And when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came, and touched the bier and They that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up. It's a special day. And he sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. So we're going to pray and get into our message this morning entitled this. Jesus cares. Jesus does care. But more than that, he can help. Jesus cares and he can help. Let's pray we'll get right into our sermon this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion, God, that you have on us. Thank you for... Sending your Son, Lord, a no no greater way that you showed us your love for us than that you came and became a man lived among us and died for us. We're thankful for that, for your love for us, your compassion for us, and thank you for your power to help us in our time of need. I pray that you help me as I explain that this morning. Help us to have hearts that are ready to hear from you. I love you, Christ, and I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. For standing. So the day after Jesus healed that centurion servant, Jesus came to this small town uh, called Nain that we just read about. Now, Nain is about 20 miles southeast of Capernaum. So Capernaum is where he was when he healed uh, that servant. And so he makes his way down to Nain, 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. And it would have taken an entire day to walk from Capernaum all the way down to Nain. And so Jesus would have left that very next day, early in the morning, and he would have headed down to walk those 20 miles. And, there, and the Bible says that at the end of verse 11 that his, many of his disciples went with him and much people. And so all of these people followed Jesus and walked all day from Capernaum all the way to this town, Nain. Now, Nain, you have to understand, this is a very small town. Insignificant town. There's no really no reason uh, to go to Nain. This is the only time that this city is mentioned in all of the Bible, and so why would Jesus and 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 all of these people be walking all day from Capernaum to Nain? Now Jesus knew why he was walking all that way and walking all day, but the people really didn't know. They were just following Jesus, and they knew something was going to happen. He's been performing miracle after miracle, and and, and they were there to listen to his teachings, but they really had no idea what was going to happen, but Jesus did, and he was planning to go to this town and to help this widow woman, and as we read in our passage, to, to raise this young man from the dead. That's what he was headed to go do. And so as he came close to the gate of Nain, There was a funeral procession going on. If you look in verse 12, as he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And so he comes up to this city, and it says the gates of this city, and you might be thinking in your mind, like, like jericho and there's like a, a wall around the city and gates but there wouldn't have been this was just a small town and it wasn't a gate that was there for protection or anything like that no one was trying to invade nain it would have just been the the entryway right like and you come into fall city and we have the falls of fall city now amen and we have them and so that's kind of the idea. It's like, here you are, welcome to Fall City, right? And so he's coming to the edge of the city. He's coming to the gate of Nain. And as he's coming to enter in the city, before he gets there, a, a line of people walk out. And the line of people are walking out, and behind them is a dead body. And so it's a funeral procession. And there's a lot that we can be said about that that we just won't get into this morning. Um, but funeral ceremonies at that time... There would have, they would have uh, done that, the funeral at the end of the day, and they normally would do the funeral the day that the person passed away, because they didn't have a lot by way of, of preserving the body and all of that, and so they wouldn't have done all of that. And so, uh, normally, the body would, whenever they would pass, they would cover the body, they would put you know the, the perfumes and, and the things and the oils and all that on the body, and then they would put it on what our passage calls a bier, uh, B-I-E-R, a bier. What that was is it wasn't like a casket. It was more like a stretcher. It was like a, a board. And they would put that body on the bier. And then they would, you know, make all the arrangements for the funeral procession. And and they would actually hire mourners, which is kind of weird for us to think about. There are people who are professional mourners who would come and mourn the death. Of, of the loved one, um, anyway, and so they would have been there, and and the rest of the the you know procession, the funeral procession would have been there, and and so we see all them there, and there, would have, there was a pretty big showing for this young man, of course, most likely lost uh, more too early in, in everyone's mind, and so if you look at the end of verse twelve, there was much of the city with her, and so uh, they they have this this procession, and there's these people walking and. And as Jesus is approaching the city, he sees all of this happen. And he doesn't just see all the people there. He doesn't just see the body. He sees the mother of the young man. He sees the mother of this young man. And the Bible says that she was a widow. She was a widow. Yeah. And so what's happening here is this woman who Jesus encountered was in a hopeless situation. In a hopeless situation. And Luke is making very clear that this is a hard thing. This was her only son, Luke, Luke says. Her only son. So this was, not only was she losing her son, she was losing her only son. And this is a big deal today, but it was even in some ways even a bigger deal at that time. Having a son, especially in that time, was the dream of almost every Hebrew mother. If you didn't have a son in that culture, it was the end of the family. And the family was very important at that time, and and they worked together, and and there's legacies built, and and really the children would take care of the parents. There's a lot that was going into this, and in that culture. And so if you would if you didn't have a son, your family tree, your family line was was done. Uh, in fact, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when the prophets, when they wanted to describe something that was really really sad, they would use that. They would use this analogy, this idea of losing your only son, Jeremiah 6.26 says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning. See, the, the Israel was in sin. They were against God. They were living a life dishonoring to God. And Jeremiah says, you need to weep over your sin, and you need to take sackcloth and mourn over this. And the way that you should mourn over your sin, Israel, is as for an only son, it says most bitter lamentation, it says. So Jeremiah says, I want you to weep and mourn over your sin like someone who has lost their only son. You See that following? Amos 8.10 says, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. Now see, God wants us to to be happy in a sense. God wants us to have joy. God wants us to live a life of blessing. But when we're outside of His will and when we're rebellion to Him, God says, I'm going to turn your laughing into mourning and into lamentation. He says, I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. I'm getting there. And we'll make it as the mourning of an only son. and the end thereof, as a bitter day. And so they would use this idea of losing your only son as as really one of the most sad scenarios in that day, one of the most uh, powerful times of mourning, one of the most worst possible human loss, really most likely the worst possible human loss was the loss of an only son. It's the loss of the future of the family. And if you think about it, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only son, you see. And that was hard for the Godhead to go through that. it and Jesus suffered as he was separated from the Father on the cross, but the Father suffered as, as for a moment in time, the Son took sin upon Himself, and for a split second, as the world went dark, the Father and the Son's fellowship was broken. Because there's nothing worse than in in, in in this time and in Jewish culture especially than the loss of an only son. So Luke makes a big deal about this. It was a hard time for this lady. And so not only was she mourning her son and not being with her anymore, but she was also losing her family's line. But it was worse than that, because right after that it says that she was a widow, you see. She was a widow. The woman had already lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. And by the way, her only son, who would carry on the legacy of her husband, you see. who who she's already lost. And especially in that culture, it would have been even extremely difficult to be a widow because in in that culture, uh, it was hard for a woman to provide for herself and and to protect herself. And so probably even her son, you know, he was a young man. He wasn't a boy. He was a young man, and most likely he was the one that was protecting her and, and watching after mom. And there's a good chance that he was the only source of protection, the only source of support, the only source of security that she had, and now she's lost him. And she's really lost everything. Are you seeing that? It's hard to talk about. It's hard to think about. It's very sad. So she was on her way as Jesus approaches the city to bury her son. And most likely right next to her husband. So, as you can tell, this is, a, this is a helpless, it seemed like, a helpless and a hopeless situation, see. It maybe would have been the saddest situation that any Israelite could have ever thought of. I want to say this this morning, life can be hard, can't it? Hard things happen in life. Many of you do know that pain of losing a loved one, uh, maybe even far earlier than what seems right and there's no easy way to deal with a time like that it's just a time of mourning isn't there a time of grief sorrow it's so real at that time that's appropriate and right and sometimes it can even feel overwhelming because it's more than just their presence it's it's often the role they play in in your life and it's difficult to lose that and sometimes it seems just absolutely impossible to replace that and it's hard it's hard Maybe you have a loved one who's sick, and you've watched a loved one uh, be sick, and they're constantly suffering with this illness, and, and you wish you could do something about it. And you might even wish, I'm sure that you've had times like this, where, where a loved one is struggling and hurting, and you wish that you can take it, right? And you wish you can take the illness, you can take the pain, but you can't, right? And, and you can't do that, and, and there's nothing you can do to change it. In those times, you feel helpless, and you feel hopeless, some of you are facing, or maybe have faced, some pretty intense financial situations that would seem impossible. And you don't know, maybe, how you're going to come up with the money to pay for that light bill, or, or how you're going to pay for that medical bill, or you can't seem to, to keep the food on the table. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how good you are with your budget and your finance, you just can't seem to keep up, and it can feel, at times, helpless. It can feel hopeless. Maybe you find yourself overwhelmed with the responsibilities of life. You have, a, you have work, and you have marriage, and you have children, and you have church life, and you're trying to balance it all, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to keep all the plates spinning. And you feel like you're constantly running and keeping everything up and keeping it all from collapsing. And just like you, you, you seem like you got one plate going and it's spinning and it's humming, then over there this plate's falling down and you've got to leave that one and run over and spin that one. And you're all over the place keeping everything up, keeping the circus going, right? And always feeling like you're dropping the ball. You can sometimes in that situation feel hopeless and helpless. Hey, maybe you've made some bad decisions along the way. You've blown it, right? You're feeling buried by the weight of that, the weight of the guilt. You know, you can't go back and fix it. You can't go back and undo it. And here you are. You wish you can. You're feeling helpless. You may be buried by the consequences, the, the aftermath, right, of that of that decision because you know decisions do have consequences and sometimes you're you're overwhelmed by that maybe you're caught in the thick of thinking about how that life will never be how it was how it used to be and you'll never be able to get back uh, to that life maybe in your in your mind feeling that way feeling like you've ruined everything yeah we've all been there at times the shame the guilt Sometimes it's more than you can bear, and you feel helpless, and you feel hopeless. And that list can really go on and on, can't it? So many areas of life where we just feel overwhelmed, and like you can't do anything to fix it, you're burdened. Well, there's some truths this morning out of this passage that I think can help us this morning. As we deal with times like that, as we deal with... With, with places like this widow woman would have been where, where it seems like everything is, is gone. It seems like everything is, is over our head and we can't do anything about it. And, you know, the, everything I had that I held dear is not here and, and I don't know how I'm going to move forward. In our passage, there's some, there's some truths that I think will really help you if you listen and if you... There is hope, by the way, I'll just tell you right up the front, that whenever you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling like there's there's no future for me and, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this, let me tell you, there's always hope and you can make it through. And when you feel like there's there, that you're in a helpless spot and there's nothing that can be done and this is just the way it's going to be and there's nothing that's going to change it, let me tell you that's not true. There is help. There is help. So let me explain that to you this morning. As we get into our passage, as Jesus sees that lady, this woman, and he sees her situation, the first is this. I want you to, want you to get this. Jesus sees you. As you're going through this, as you're dealing with the weight of your situation, you need to, first of all, you need to understand this. Jesus sees you, and he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what has happened, He knows how you feel, He knows the weight that you're under. He knows. He sees you, and He knows. Jesus knew this widow woman, personally. Now He's never met her before, physically, He was there in Capernaum, He would have never laid eyes on this lady, but He knew her, right, because He is God. Jesus is God in the flesh and he knew this woman and he knew what she was going through and he knew that she would have already lost her husband and he and He would have known that that day that she would have lost her son. And he knew who she was well before he saw her with physical eyes. Remember we said that he left Capernaum and it would have been a whole day's journey and so he would have had to left leave early that morning to make it all the way to Nain. Remember how we said that? I'm not sure if you made this connection, but we also said this, that when a body, when a funeral was happening, most likely that body, that, that person who passed, passed that day. And so Jesus would have left to help this woman before her son even passed. Are you seeing that? He when 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 this happened and when when it seemed like her life had all fallen apart and the last thing that she had on this earth was gone as she was going through that moment Jesus was already on his way to help you see he knew all about it he knew everything that was going on and he saw this woman in his in his mind's eye and he was on his way to help right right then and right there This is no surprise to Jesus. This wasn't a helpless situation for him. This wasn't a hopeless situation for him. And he is already on his way. And listen, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And even when it seems like no one else sees what you're going through, when it seems like nobody else can understand what you're, what's happening in your life and what's happening in your mind and what's happening in your soul, even if nobody else could fully appreciate the weight of the problem you're facing, let me help you this morning. Jesus does know. He knows all about it. Jesus understands. He does. He knows everything that has taken place. He knows what's happened to you. He knows the impact that it has had on your body and on your mind and in your soul. And he knows it better than even you know it. He knows you. He sees you. And by the way, he knew it all before it even happened. And there's a good chance that before that even took place, that God has already been at work and and navigating and orchestrating a way to give you the grace that you need to make it through this time. He's already at work. And at those times, it feels like God is so far away that he has no idea what's going on. But it's in those times where Jesus is most at work and he is on his way. He is on his way to help. I want you to know that. He sees you. He knows better than even you do, even when nobody else understands. So that's number one. Jesus sees and he knows. Number two is this. Jesus cares. He cares about what you're going through. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he made it to the city, he had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. Compassion there, it carries the idea of a churning of the stomach. It's like we say today, our our heart hurts for them. And Jesus had compassion on this woman, and he saw this woman, and he saw what she was going through, and he cared for her, and he, and he cared about what was happening to her. And of course, Jesus knows what's going on. And, and sometimes intellectually, we can say, yeah, I know Jesus knows. And, and we're going through a hard time, and, and you know a brother comes, and they're trying to be a help, and they put their arm around you, and they say, you know, brother, Jesus knows. God knows. And you say, yeah, I know he knows. And of course he knows. But it's more than that, isn't it? He doesn't just know. He cares. He does. He doesn't have to care. He's God, right? He doesn't have to, but he does. You say, how does God care about my situation and everybody else? He's God. He can handle it, right? And he cares, and he sees you in a personal way, and if you were the only person on planet Earth, he would care. He cares for you. uh, The song says, he loves me like I was his only child. That's how God thinks of you. He knows you. He sees what's going, what, you're, what you're going through. And he loves you. And he cares for you. He cared for her. And God sees what we go through. he has compassion. And, and it is good and it's helpful to know that he knows. But it's even more helpful to know that he cares. He cares. Yeah, he's interested. Listen, God is interested in your life. He didn't just... Create this universe like a clock and create all the mechanisms for everything to spin and, and create all the laws of physics and even the laws of, of life and living and moral law. And you didn't just get it and start it and, and then step back. That's not our God. He is personally invested in each life and He knows you and He loves you and He sees you and He cares for you. That's our God. He has always been a God of compassion. Judges 10.16 says, And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And the Bible says, And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? The God of the universe, his soul was grieved as he saw the misery of his people. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And when God became a man named Jesus Christ, over and over again, he was described as having compassion on the people. We, we see it obviously here in our passage, but in, in Matthew 9.36 it says, And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Mark 1.41 says, And Jesus moved with compassion Put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Mark six, thirty-four, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, having not a shepherd. Listen, our God is a God of compassion. And first Peter five: seven says this. Peter says it right here: casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. God cares for you. He loves you. And God already knows what you're going through. And he knows the struggles you're having. And he knows the stress that you're under. And he sees your anxieties. He sees your fears. And you don't need to hide this stuff from him. He already knows it. We don't need to be shy with God and try to hide what we're going through with him and and be embarrassed as we talk to him. No, he already knows your struggles he knows how maybe you're even losing faith in him in some ways and you need him and he desperately wants for you to cry out to him if anything it makes him annoyed that you're not coming to him right he wants you to come to him listen if you care about someone you aren't annoyed with them you're not disappointed in them when they pour their heart out to you are you when they come to you and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this and, and I, this is really weighing on my mind and I don't know what I'm going to do and they come up over to you, you're not just like, oh, come on, get out of my face. You don't, you don't treat it that way, do you? No, if you love them, you're glad they came to you. You're not disappointed in them and you're not looking down on them. You're glad they came to you because now you can help. And, and in fact, you are sometimes if you're annoyed at all. Annoyed that they didn't come to you sooner, because they thought that you'd be mad at them, or you thought that they would look down on you, and you get like you get frustrated. no, no, why didn't you already come to me? I would have, I would have helped you already. And and we think that way about others, but for some reason, on our end, as we think about our heavenly Father, we say, "Oh, I don't want to go to God. He's going to be embarrassed. He's going to be mad at me. He's going to be disappointed in me. He's going to be annoyed at me for coming to him with this problem. I need to just figure it out." No, you can't figure it out. He wants to help you, and you need to humble yourself before him and say, God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And when you do that, his arms are open wide, and he's ready to help. Yeah, That's how God feels about you. And so <clears throat> Jesus sees you as you're going through your, your struggle He cares about you as you're going through your struggle. And here's the next thing. Maybe the most important thing. He can help. He can help. Hey, sometimes I said, like, when we're going through a hard time, sometimes the last thing you want to hear is something like this. God knows, or God cares for you, or I'm praying for you about that. Sometimes we get to a spot where we're like, yeah, you know, I'm thankful for that, but thanks, but really I need more than sympathy, right? I need some help. Sometimes we feel that way, and there's a good chance that's how this widow felt. As Jesus walks up, and verse 13, it says, Jesus had compassion on her. And it says, look in verse 13, and he said unto her, Weep not. Can you imagine that? She had just lost her only son. She's already lost her husband. She's on her way to the burial site. And Jesus comes up and says, Stop crying. <laughs> now, I'm sure it didn't come off like that. But can you imagine? I'm sure he had eyes of compassion. And he said, Weep not. But I mean, come on. Weep not! That's not what she wanted to hear. Maybe right then, (laughs) could have maybe felt demoralizing. This is a time for weeping, Jesus. Maybe didn't feel very helpful. But Jesus didn't stop there, did he? He said to her, "Weep not." And then look at verse fourteen. And he came and touched the beard, touched that plank, right? And he wasn't he wasn't made alive then. What happened there? Is that just stopped the procession? And so you can imagine they're all walking through and, and at, you know, maybe maybe Jesus comes and walks next to her and he, and he maybe puts his arms around her and he says, woman, uh, he probably knew her name, I don't, we don't know her name, and, and says, weep not. And then he walks over to the, to the young man and he touches, and it says, when he does, they that bear him stood still. Now, now, maybe they're probably some are really mad about that. You don't do that. You just walk in and stop the procession, Right? What is this guy up to? And if he couldn't do anything about this, this would have been very rude, wouldn't it have been? And very upsetting. But he goes up and it was, this wasn't some kind of sick joke. He was just up there and he touches the body and he looks up at the young man and he says, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the son of the widow sits up. Incredible. Incredible. And then he starts talking. Right there, funeral's over. <laughs> Cancel all the plans. Mourners, you're out of a job. We're done. Right? It's over. And, and all of the, all of the, 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 suffering and all of the pain and all of the suffering has now turned to relief and joy. And and I, and, and Jesus, right here, displayed great power. And by the way, he did it with great ease. Now, this isn't the first time that anyone has ever been raised from the dead. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha both had, had raised someone from the dead. But if you remember, we're not going to go back for sake of time and go through those stories. But it wasn't just, they didn't just walk in the room and just talk to the guy and he came up. There was a whole thing about it. And they were crying out to God. At one point, Elisha, I think it was, actually spread out over the boy and prayed and cried out to God. and It was a whole thing. Jesus didn't have to do that. He just walks up. And he touches the beard and says, Arise. And he does. And it was easy for Jesus, wasn't it? It was easy. He didn't didn't break a sweat. Jesus just took care of it right then. Yeah. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but I imagine Jesus helping the man that was just dead, maybe taking his hand and leading him off the stretcher, off that beard. And with eyes of compassion, he leads him to his mother. Verse 15 delivered him to his mother. And again, when Jesus first told that widow, weep not, maybe she didn't understand. Maybe she might have been upset. She might have been annoyed. How can he possibly help me? This is hopeless. There's nothing that can make this better. What do you mean, weep not? Is this some kind of sick joke? Are you trying to pull some kind of prank? Are you trying to give me some kind of false hope? But Jesus doesn't give false hope, does he? He can back up the promises he gives us. And Jesus has the power to help. Jesus has the power to help. He doesn't just give us words of comfort. He actually has the power to provide true comfort and real help. That's our God. And it's not not hard for him. Now, Jesus no longer raises people from the dead. He doesn't do that. Those sorts of miracles were for a time, and to prove who he was as the Messiah but he, he may not show his power maybe in the same way as he did during that time, but he's still just as powerful as he's always been. And he may not raise the dead, but he still has the power. He does, he really truly does have the power to give you a peace that passes all understanding and give you a, 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 a supernatural amount of grace in your heart. And he might even do something amazing in your heart through hard times like that. Jesus says, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives it, give I unto you. And Jesus is able to give peace at times like that and true health. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. He still has the power to provide for your needs. He still has the power to restore a marriage. He still has the power to heal sicknesses. And and we've seen that over and over as a church family, haven't we? As we've prayed for people who have... Gone through health issues and health struggles. No, he's still in control of of sickness and disease. And he still has the power to, even if he doesn't heal you of the of the illness, he has the power to give you the grace to make it through that. He still has the power to give you victory over sin. He still has the power to give you victory over addiction, to give you victory over bitterness. And he and he alone has the power to forgive your sins and to save your soul from hell forever. No, he's still powerful. And he can still help. And by the way, he's still our only hope in the end. No, you can seek comfort and help in a lot of places, a lot of wrong places, and a lot of our world goes to places to distract themselves and to, to drink themselves out of it or to, to drug themselves out of it or to escape in some false reality. And, and there's a lot of places you can go to get to get the wrong kind of help, but you can even get the right kind of help from, from family and friends and, and you know, maybe uh, music can do that and there's a lot of things. But in the end, what you're, you're only going to get true and lasting help from Christ. From Christ. He's who you need in the end. And I don't know <clears throat> what your struggle is this morning, but I do know this, Jesus can help. Jesus can help. And right now you might be thinking, I don't know if that's true, and actually, kind of, Pastor, I'm a little bit mad at you for saying that because my situation, there's no helping it. I'm sorry. I, I love you. And as compassionately as I can tell you until it just happens and you, and you understand as, 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 as passionately and as, um, as tactfully as I can say it, there is help. Jesus can help you. No matter how, how hard it is to believe that right now in this situation, He can help you. And I'm not just telling you that to try to make you feel better. And I'm not just saying that because that's what Christians say, to sound religious. No, no, God is real. And He really does know what you're struggling with. And He really does love you more than you can know. And He really does care for you more than you can know. And He can help you no matter how difficult, no matter how helpless No matter how hopeless you feel, the situation is. God sees you, and he desperately wants to help you, but you're going to have to let him. You're going to have to let him and submit to his help. Now He won't force his help, but he's waiting for you to let him help. You don't know what to do or how he can help or what in the world... Can give me comfort right now? Um, let me just tell you this. That's part of why God called me here. I, and I would love to, to sit down with you. And sometimes it's hard to see it. And no matter how much you read your Bible, you can't seem to find it. And I'm telling you, that's part of why God has, in His plan, given you a pastor. Because my one of my jobs... Primarily, well, here's my job primarily, is to show you what the Bible says. And I'm here to preach the Word and in a setting like this, and, and it's helpful, but, but part of my job is to sit down with you and to, and to hear your issues and, and to walk with you and to show you from the Word of God how that He can help you through that. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you're saying, oh, I don't want to bug the pastor with it. He's busy and I'm going to annoy him. Hey, I thought we already dealt with that. If you're thinking that, I'm mad at you right now, okay? Don't think that way. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to walk with you through it. And yeah, I got things to do, but we can make it happen. Come talk to me. I, I, what the last thing we need is for you to go through this and to feel hopeless and to feel helpless and defeated and overwhelmed and then give up. No, we're here to help. You say, no, I, maybe I've, I've already gone too far. I've already done some things with this. I shouldn't have done. And it was already bad, but I just made it worse. And there's no getting out of it. No, that's, that's not true. It's a lie from the devil. God can help. His grace is greater than what you're going through. And I would, I would, I wish I can make you see how desperately I would love to sit with you and talk with you through this. I would love it. There is no, there's no greater joy for me. Than to walk you through and give you the help from God. I can't, I, I'll tell you this I can't help you, but I know God can. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll sit with you and, and we'll go through it. And even if you don't believe it at first, like this widow woman, listen, just what else do you got? Come to God. He can help. One more point, and we're done. As Jesus helps you through your struggle, your life becomes a testimony of his power. Look with me at verse 16 to 17. And there came fear on all and they glorified God. Hey, that's awesome. Saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And so this boy, and this young man, you know, sits up and speaks. The one who was dead and Jesus lifts, you know, helps him off, the stretcher, and delivers him to his mother. And everyone is seeing this. And the Bible says a fear came on them and they glorified God and they recognized that Christ was, if nothing else, a great prophet and his fame spread abroad. Now, I will say this that that's not enough to forgive them of their sin. No, Jesus is more than just a great prophet, right? And it wasn't enough for them to just recognize him as a great prophet. They needed to recognize who he was as the Son of God, the Messiah, who had come to take away the sins of the world. And they needed to place their faith in him and ask him for forgiveness that way. So it wasn't enough that they saw him as a great prophet. But I will tell you this, it is a good start, isn't it? Before this time, they didn't believe in him at all, potentially. And here's what it did do. It pointed them in the right direction. And as they, listen, as these people who witnessed this maybe begin to follow him and and you know those multitudes that follow him, and as they, they hear from him, and they listen to his teaching, and they start to recognize maybe who he was as the Son of God, as he was the, the Messiah, and he was there to take away their sin. As they start starting seeing that, there's a good chance that some of these people eventually did get saved, you see? And all because of what happened with this widow woman. All because of this situation that seemed hopeless, that seemed helpless. There are some that were pointed to salvation. That's a blessing, isn't it? And as people watch you go through the struggles of life, and as people watch the grace of God being poured out, right, as you're tapping into him, and as you're trusting him through these hard times, and, 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 and you're and and God is supernaturally doing a work in you, and sometimes even orchestrating some things that are just so clearly God at work. And as people see that happening in your life, as they watch that happen, and you face your trial with the peace that, that passes understanding, and you still have the joy of the Lord intact, even through the sorrow, people notice that. And in those moments, those people see God more real than they ever have seen him and listen seeing on God God's power on display in your life it's obviously not enough to save them nobody is saved because they saw something that God did there's no experience in life where you say oh I believe in God I know I'm saved because I saw God do this well that, that's not enough right that's not how you're saved That's not how your sins are forgiven, and I'm thankful that God's at work, and I'm thankful you saw His power, and maybe even His power was in display in your life, and and God did some things, miraculous things in your life, and and I'm, I'm sure, I'm confident it was God who did that for you, and I'm thankful. But the Bible is very clear. The only way your sins are forgiven is whenever you call out to Him in faith, based upon what He did on the cross, and you admit that you're a sinner, and you ask Him for forgiveness, then your sins are forgiven. And so, them watching God at work in your life isn't enough to save their soul, but I will say this, it does point them in the right direction. And there's a good chance that they'll watch your life as you deal with these struggles and as you trust the Lord and get through them. And they'll notice and they'll become interested. And they might even start coming to church. They may start hearing the gospel and they might eventually understand the gospel and call out to Christ, and you can know that a lot of that was because of what you went through. And all of a sudden, it's worth it. Amen? And by the way, you don't always get to see the fruit. This widow woman wouldn't have seen everyone who was led to Christ through this. You don't always get to see everything that God does, but it does help you this way, that God intends to use your struggle. To grow you, yep, and to grow your faith in God, but also to display his power to others. And, and God will intend to use the hard things of life for good that way. God is good. God loves you. Hey, He's still in control, and he still cares for you always, and he still is all-powerful always, and he still has a plan always, and you can trust him. Because he cares and he can help. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're a God who sees us in a personal and loving way. Thank you that you're interested in our life. We're so undeserving of that. We're unworthy of your grace and your love for us. And God, thank you, maybe even most of all, that you want to help and you can so god help us to trust you help us to trust your love your care help us to trust your power and then just watch as you do mighty and wonderful things in our life god if there's one here this morning that isn't saved if there's one here that has never called out for salvation and maybe they are interested in you and maybe they have seen you work in mighty ways but they've never cried out to you i pray that your holy spirit would work in their heart you know, they would make their way down to this altar and I could show him from your word how they can be sure their sins are forgiven and they can follow you. Lord, we love you. Christ and my pray. Amen. Let's stand together.